Welcome to the Creative City Podcast. I'm Tamia Stinson. I have casual conversations with Cincinnati's creative community, and I like alliteration. Uh, so thanks for coming back to listen to the show. And today I have two very special guests in the studio. I have Cal Cullen and Margie Waller. I will let them introduce themselves, but they are well-known in the Cincinnati area for being uh, out-and-about creative placemakers. And I will let them introduce themselves. Cal, why don't you let people know a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, hi, I'm Cal Cullen. I am the founder and executive director of Wavepool, I'm also co-founder of The Welcome Project, an artist myself. Sometimes I teach, curate shows do a variety of things. And Wavepool is a? And a contemporary art center that focuses on social practice. Perfect. Margie, what about you? So I have a bunch of hats. Um, <laughs> I think You're not wearing any hats today, but a very cute beret. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I um, am currently working as the uh, national field coordinator for the Creative Placemaking Partners, which is for organizations, um, national organizations that have invested in the field of creative placemaking. Um, and I also work with a group that does research on how to communicate about these issues of arts and community called Topos Partnership. And locally, I have a little passion project called Art on the Streets, which supports artists and arts organizations that want to uh, create in public places in particular and co-create with residents. Very cool. Now, you mentioned the words creative placemaking a couple of times, and I know I said it in your intro. Can we just give people an idea of what exactly that means? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a definition That's, that we're working on nationally. Okay. All so right. we've actually spent the last um, about year working with people all over the country to develop uh, a statement of what it is and also what the values are. But the short one sentence is, creative, creative placemaking is when community residents intentionally use arts, culture, and design strategies in local partnerships for equity, equitable, healthy, and sustainable outcomes. So it's, put it another way, it's artists uh, and designers and creative people coming together with the residents of a place um, to um, achieve community-designed outcomes. So when we're talking about creative placemaking, we're talking about physical places in a community where people can come together in some way? So placemaking has by its, just the word itself, it has a kind of geography to it, right? right. So sometimes we say, if you're doing creative placemaking, you should be able to draw a circle around the place that you're focusing on. Okay. So it's probably smaller than a city, but it could be a city. Oftentimes it's a neighborhood. Sometimes it's a park. It could be even smaller. Um, so it's a place in that sense, like something's going to happen there. It doesn't have to be a building, though, for right. it to be creative placemaking. Okay. And Cal, now, I'm, I'm not sure. Have you and Margie worked together before? Kind of. <laughs> we definitely work <laughs> together def now. We definitely are working together now. I mean, we kind of, like, circle around each other often. <laughs> that happens a lot around here. You're like, yeah. I know. I see this person <laughs> passing. I will, yeah. I'm a huge fan of Cal's. I will say that. Oh. I, I love the and work I'm a that's huge happening fan of Margie's. Camp Washington. <laughs> well, you both do great work. Thanks. Yeah. So, um, I... Agree with everything Margie's saying. Definition-wise, I think that's a great working definition. It is an ever-changing term and field, and 
um, and highly contentious too, depending on who you're talking to. So it's it's an interesting it's an interesting topic. And why might it be contentious? Well, there's a lot of discussion around uh, place making. What does it uh, What does it mean to make a place versus place keeping? How can we sustain a place? Um, and I think the definition Margie gave about um, working collaboratively with the residents is key. Um, in that this is creative place making to me, real, true, like valuable creative placemaking really should be from the grassroots up. Mm -hmm. Like it should really be with the people it's intended to serve. So do you have any examples that you can give us so people have a better idea of what exactly we're talking about here? Sure. Um, I'm going to go with uh, a couple examples that are have been done through Wavepool because those are the ones I know the best, even though I know there are a lot more examples in the city. Um, so the Fringe Bookstand is a, um, it was a dilapidated um, shed across the street from Wavepool. And our neighbor is a book uh, connoisseur, book um, uh, collector, book dealer, etc. And he wanted to have a venue to sell his books. And he loved having conversations with neighbors about books. And this is really his um, his passion. And so he uh, needed a venue. We also had a local artist, um, Carrie Martin, who d does just incredible things um, with public art. And so it really was a match to put her with this shed and with Andrew, the book collector, to create a book stand for him. And it is uh, called The Fringe. It was um, at least for the first few months, it was LGBTQI-focused, and we had performances, so I curated a series of um, performances actually with um, Sydney Sherry Hilly, who helped organize and, and select the artists to do that. Um, and it became this public presence, and it's still open, and now our neighbor has a point of sale for his book collection and to communicate with neighbors. Um, it also is very beautiful. It's covered in neon fringe. <laughs> so it's, <laughs> oh, it's a public it. art fringe. piece okay. also. <laughs> so I think that that's one easy to explain example of how pairing artists with residents can make something happen that benefits the whole community. Okay, that's really interesting. Yeah. And where was this located? Or is so this the fringe book stand is in Camp Washington, uh, directly, well, it's like one street over from Wavepool. If you're at Wavepool, you'll look across the parking lot and see it. Okay, that sounds awesome. <laughs> and this idea, it sounds like, came to you from one of the residents of that community. Yeah, from our neighbor who collects the books. He he wanted a book stand. Carrie wanted to have this LGBT um, public art piece. It's it's really a lot of my work is just about making connections between people. See now that that I like because that's one of the things that I enjoy doing as well. And I know we'd talked before. Um, the show started a little bit about making sure that the process and outcomes for creative placemaking were equitable and involved mm -hmm. as many people from the community as possible. Can you talk a little bit about what that actually looks like and how we can make sure that that's actually happening? So for for me and for uh, Wavepool, we focus a lot on um, deep listening is what I like to call it to our neighbors. So we are always looking for input on um, the place where we are, which is Camp Washington, and sometimes the bigger place, which is Cincinnati. Are, um, you, are you actively asking people? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So 
walking my dog every day, I talk to people and often get ideas and um, input just from doing that. But we also intentionally have, like, we, we, we worked with artist Lene Garten last summer to do a month-long program, series, and installation that found more creative ways to get input from people and ideas. Um, so she had, uh, like, nail painting and the laundromat to get input and hot dog for your thoughts, barbecue on the corner to um, to exchange hot dogs for ideas and, um, you know, what's the strengths of the community, what are the assets, what are the deficits, what can you contribute, and then that really, now we have this full database of things that our neighbors want as well as contact information. So that's what we're working off of right now, but um, always continually um, pulling information. That's super smart. I feel mm -hmm. like food for ideas. Mm -hmm. is, it's, uh, right? <laughs> you got to give something, exchange. you yeah. got to give something back. You can't expect people to, you know, get involved for nothing. <laughs> I, I can give you an example from another city of another food example, which is one that I love um, in St. Paul, where they actually have an artist who is employed by the city. She, she's like, you know, she's the artist in residence for the city which is something that, by the way, Tamaya Denard yeah. has just proposed for Cincinnati. So oh, no, I was just thinking that. we should yes. have that. Yeah, yeah. We should it's, have it's that. It's great that I hope that conversation goes somewhere. Anyways, they, they looked at the fact that they would have city you know, meetings on various topics. We have them too. And oftentimes the same people would show up and it would be a small number of people. And who knows, there are lots of reasons why that happens, but the city was interested in hearing from more people. So they asked her to think of a, a way to do that. And she um, asked them to buy her a, um, a popsicle cart. <laughs> and she took, takes the popsicle cart out into the parks and gives away popsicles and talks to people and gets their input on various questions that way. That's a great idea. I think a lot of times what happens, um, especially in government and administrative organizations, is they expect the people to come to mm -hmm. them. Yep, yep. Um, whereas sometimes you, 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 you got to go, go to where the people are. Yep. Exactly. So when we're talking about um, making the process equitable and some of the discussions that you guys have been having about this definition and how it's sort of always being refined and redefined, what are the key driving factors for either updating or changing the definition to ensure that it's a little bit more inclusive? Like, how do, how do those discussions look? Mm -hmm. So, really good question and not an easy answer because they're sort of like, who's in charge, right? Right. It, it, creative, <laughs> creative placemaking is a term that was given to this kind of work about 10 years ago by um, a white paper that was written at the request of the um, head of the National Endowment for the Arts, Rocco Landisman. And, um, but it's not that the work is new, right? People have been doing this kind of work for a long time. It's just a term that was given to it. Um, and so over the, the last decade, um, we've seen some evolution in how we think about what this means and how we measure our success at doing it. And the shift has been all in the direction of making sure that residents lead, right? That residents are leading the conversation, that it's residents' goals that we're looking at, and not that we have... Um, say, a developer or a city government or even an artist coming in and saying, here's what I'm going to do here for you. It's more about what we're going to do together. The conversation in the past year, the creative placemaking, the national partners, which are, by the way, the National Endowment for the Arts, the Kresge Foundation, which has been a major investor, um, Art Place America, which is a, a consortium of funders um, and agencies that that came together about 10 years ago, as well as um, Arizona State University, which is kind of representing the higher ed 
component of all of this. Um, they um, asked me to help them think about field building, and one of the first things that we did, based on a national scan that we did to assess the strength of the field, was recognize that we need a clearer definition, we need a way for people to think about the work and test themselves in the work, and so what we've been doing is developing a document that includes that short definition I read to you, but also a series of questions that partners can use together when they're working on a project. And it touches on some of the things that we've already talked about. So a little bit like a checklist, like are we doing mm -hmm. X, Y, Absolutely. and Z? Okay. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Like that sounds checklist. helpful. And I that sounds so helpful. When is that going to be done? <laughs> <laughs> so we will at the Creative Place Making Leadership Summit, which we haven't talked about yet, but which is happening in Cincinnati in October, the 10th to the 13th. Yeah. Um, it's uh, this. Th there will be a discussion about this document, and this will be the final kind of public input opportunity before we publish what will still be, you know, an iterative document. But so it can still change. But we will actually put it out there for people to use. Um, so I will be um, helping to release that with the partners probably in November at the national yeah. summit. Yeah, and I think that's so important because a lot of times um, artists or um, community organizers or business leaders think they're doing creative placemaking because it's a buzzword and they're, they they may think it means something else, but they don't. But there isn't that checklist. There isn't like a standard definition to use. And so I, I think that that's going to be so helpful to, to really evaluating, well, is this really, you know, sometimes for, I think murals are a great example. Like sometimes murals can be creative placemaking, mm -hmm. but often they're not. Yep. So, <laughs> how would you define them if they're not creative placemaking? Well, if they're not um, neighbor-led or community desired, or there wasn't community input as part of how they've been designed and created, um, that's how I would. I mean, yeah. 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 Agreed. Um, I would say so. That it's not exactly a mural, but some years ago, um, Art on the Streets did a crosswalk painting project. Mm -hmm. And we called them art walks. I remember that. Yeah, yeah, it was super fun. Yeah, it was um, fun. And we um, we did it by kind of first of all because the neighbors were saying Main Street in over the Rhine. People were speeding on Main Street, and they wanted some way to bring more attention to the crosswalks by the drivers. And so they liked the idea of the art walks as a way to do that. But then, um, along with the artist Pam Kravitz, we gathered community input on what should be actually painted in the crosswalk. So what did they want to highlight? And we asked questions like, what do you love about your neighborhood? How do you know your home? You know, what are your favorite things in your neighborhood? And, and people literally drew for us. And then Pam took those drawings. And we, we also went to the schools in the area and had kids do drawings. And then created a design. And then we all painted it together. So great. Yeah. yeah. I 100% yeah. remember that project. That was a fun one. When people are are doing these projects and the community is involved, who is providing the resources i.e. the money, for making sure it gets done? Where does that come from? It often comes through either a community development foundation or a um, community uh, council or an organization, usually an arts organization, um, like Wavepool or, or Artworks or something like that. Um, and our funding as a nonprofit comes from grants mostly. Okay. Mm -hmm. it, here's an interesting, and this is something that the national partners have been focusing on a lot because... Art Place America, which had been in the business of giving away national grants, is not doing that anymore. National Endowment for the Arts does give away grants through their Our Town program, but they're 
very competitive and hard to apply for. Um, so there's, there is definitely other funding out there locally. Um, but interestingly, think about, think about it this way. If the community has an issue that they want to address, say it's a health issue, then you can think about it not as an art project, but as a health project. And think about the funding that can come through health partners instead of through arts funders. Because really, these are much larger community issues. These, this is not just about art. And so it should be funded by a whole bunch of different funding streams. But if my neighbor down the street who doesn't even know what creative placemaking is or doesn't know what the textbook definition is, is like, man, I really want to do something on this corner because the building's a little bit dilapidated, but I feel like it'd be a really great pace for people to gather if they were interested in doing so. Like, how would they even get started on something like that? I would start by talking to their community council and seeing who can um, lead them to the next space. <laughs> I mean, I think you're going to need some sort of organization behind you in order to find funding, but not always. A lot of things are funded through crowdsourcing campaigns, and you can gather a group of individuals and do it that way, too. Um, I've seen that work a few times. That's true. Um, yeah. It sounds like potentially that is something that would be um, discussed, the how, Mm -hmm. at the Creative Placemaking mm -hmm. Summit, like Margie mentioned a little earlier, that's coming to Cincinnati this October. Can you tell us a little bit more about what that is and who that is and what y'all are going to talk about? Um, yeah, so the uh, Creative Placemaking Leadership Summit um, is coming to Cincinnati October 10th through 12th, and we are the Midwest Summit, so they have different summits throughout the country um, for different regions, and their definition of Midwest is really, it goes all the way to the Dakotas, so we have lots of people from all over the country coming for this. We are East in the Midwest. Yeah. <laughs> we, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So um, it's going to be two days of panel discussions and plenary talks and um, workshops. Really, I think the goal for all the partners involved in putting together the summit is really for folks to have meaningful discussions and to have actual tangible next steps and tools to walk away with. Um, so a lot of times you go to a conference and you leave really inspired, but then you go back to your day to day and fall what back I into your same. Exactly. So yeah. we're hoping that you'll be able to leave the summit um, and really actually have next steps and do th do things with that. Um, and then on Saturday is our field workshops day. So um, we're going to be highlighting several of the neighborhoods and organizations throughout the city that are doing creative placemaking work. Um, so if you attend the summit, you'll have an opportunity to take a bus and go uh, visit Price Hill, Camp Washington, Covington, over the Rhine. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And you would be visiting uh, the sites of projects yes. that took place in those areas? Yeah, and not only place. taking a field trip, but actually doing a hands-on oh. um, Put people to work. Experiment. <laughs> experience. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. So the actual um, the actual summit, though, what kind of, you talked about um, plenary. I don't think most people know what that is. That includes me. <laughs> what does that mean? Well, the plenary discussions are um, moderated discussions okay. between several leaders in a certain topic. And they, they address the whole conference, which will be a few hundred people probably. Right. Um, so it's an opportunity for everybody to hear together on um, topics that were chosen as themes for the Midwest. And then I think the other interesting thing, going back to your original question, there's, there's going to be a series of kind of 
don't know what you call them, like creative placemaking basics or core courses. So if you're if you're feeling really new to the topic and you really just want to get grounded, then there are sessions in what they call like creative placemaking 101, creative placemaking funding, creative place. The session I'm doing on values is one of those. So there's a series of sessions to really ground you. Or you can do. There'll be a lot of other workshops too that will be very focused on issues of equity, issues of uh, creative placemaking and health, um, and so on. Are you both doing sessions? Yeah. Yeah? Mm-hmm. What about, what are you so doing? So I am uh, leading the, the field workshop to Camp Washington, where we'll be visiting Wave Pool, the Swing House, the Fringe Book Stand, Campsite Sculpture Park, the Welcome Project. Um, so that'll be really fun. <laughs> and then I'm also moderating... Um, a peer discussion on, um, oh, I'm forgetting the top. It's, oh, it's about um, community-driven projects, about how variety of people are um, really tapping into um, residents for for leading the projects that happen. Okay, yeah. that sounds really interesting. Yeah. What you were saying before triggered a question for me. How the heck do you get started and like how what's your background where you were like you know what I should do <laughs> good question Margie you Before, well my <laughs> my background makes no sense for this I'm a, I'm a lawyer who did policy research in DC for a long time but actually it's really a good fit for me because then I, I really love the arts and I and work I worked at ArtsWave for a while and at ArtsWave one of the things that we did while I was there was ask a lot of questions of residents about what do they love about the arts what do they like the arts to do in their place. And what we found was people in this region really love the way that the arts can change a place, can make a place a better place, can make a place a different kind of place based on what the residents want, and also really love the way that the arts can bring people together, can help people connect, people who might not connect in other ways. And so that was my launching pad into this kind of work. And I found that um, of all the many hats that I wear, this is the one where I smile the most. So that's pretty good. <laughs> Got to keep those smiling hats. Yes. <laughs> what about you, Cal? Um, yeah, so I started as a more traditional painter. I have my Master's of Fine Arts from DAP. Um, and it was during my uh, graduate work that I started breaking out of the studio, becoming more social, realizing I was done telling my own story. I wanted to hear from others and share their stories, start connecting with people. And um, and I got into museum education. And there's a lot of overlap between education, especially in um, museums now, and, uh, and creative placemaking. So um, if you're familiar with... Uh, Paolo Fri- uh, Frieri, um, and his, he kind of has this uh, glasses half full approach to students, and like you can learn just as much from your students as you can from mm-hmm. a teacher. So um, a lot of that overlaps with how I think about community development and creative placemaking and working with residents. Um, as an artist. So um, even though artists might be the most visible part, there shouldn't be the um, the sole author of a project. So that's how I came about this through a, through museum education. <laughs> that's really interesting. Like you came, you both came at it from different yeah. sides of the <laughs> sides of the coin, but somehow wound up yeah. working together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which you said it brings people together. Yeah. Obviously, that has been the case for you guys. Uh, which is really cool to hear. So we're going to look forward to learning more about the Creative Placemaking Leadership Summit. 
Where can people go to find out more about that? You can go to the uh, Creative Placemaking Leadership Summit website, which is <laughs> cpcommunities.org backslash Midwest. And literally, if you just Google Creative Placemaking Leadership Summit, you'll find it. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> it, does, it does pop up. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what I did. Yeah. <laughs> Trust the Googles. Yeah. And if people want to find out a little bit more about each one of you individually and follow along with your upcoming projects, which, by the way, do either of you have any upcoming projects you want to talk about? Besides the summit. Uh, that has one every day, I think. I know. There's so much going on. Um, well, we have a project at, I curated a show at People's Liberty that's their final show, um, and it's up until November 10th. And it is also a creative placemaking project with artists, uh, well, there's several artists in the show, but Christian um, Schmidt has created a pretzel cart and is doing every Friday and Saturday morning, you can go learn how to make pretzels with him, and then he was roving the neighborhood delivering freshly baked sourdough pretzels in exchange for advice for future Cincinnatians. So um, that's a project I'm excited about happening now. I'm excited about those pretzels now that you They're say that. They're so good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, and website, wavepoolgallery.org. Um, Art on the Streets is uh, organizing a, a bicycle ride that is um, sort of launching Blink, um, our um, reason for doing this is what just like get more people on bikes and and show the city that bikes should be in streets and that people can ride in streets and they can ride in wearing any kind of clothes they want to. Uh, doesn't have to be you know bicycle like or whatever. <laughs> so, I see with the padded butt. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and it's super fun. What we do is we um, we uh, we provide some battery operated lights. We pay some artists to decorate bikes. Uh, and then we invite everybody to decorate their own bike and show up. Um, it's um, on our Facebook page, which is Art on the Streets. And the the time is 6.30 on October 9th is when we have our decorating party. And it will be around Finley Market location to be determined. And then we will ride around the footprint of Blink looking at the kind of pre-Blink um, testing and fun uh, as they're setting up. So we, oh, last cool. year we had about... 400 people show up Whoa. and show the city that we're a biking city. Um, in, in That's a, very, a lot of bikes. In a very, uh, you know, bright kind of spectacle piece of moving art is the way that I think about it. If you have a big clunky bike like I do. Any kind of bike still... you want. I mean, seriously, we had little kids. We had seniors. We had everybody in between. And Red Bike is partnering with us. They'll have a discount for Red Bike. So oh, if you don't great. even have a bike, you can ride a bike. That's smart. Now, does it include the electric bikes? Because your girl gets tired. <laughs> it does. Okay. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but it will be an easy ride. It's We always, when we do these theme rides, they're, they're flat, slow, you know, and we don't leave anybody behind. Sounds like a plan. Uh, Well, thank you guys so much for being on the show today. If you want to follow along, be sure to check the show notes. I'll include all of the links that you guys mentioned there. Uh, You can follow me. I am at The Style Sample on Instagram, Twitter. And my website is thestylesample.com. If you want to listen to more episodes of Creative City, head to creativecitypodcast.com and check out our SoundCloud. Thanks for listening. See you next time.